just a quick note before we get started. Today's conversation with Elle Hoffman is extremely frank. We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about sex education, about intimate partner violence, about the fact, as Elle puts it, that we all have sex, or at least most of us have sex, and then we feel we can't even talk about it. We can't reach out with problems. So Elle is very frank about the places that she has been in her life where she has had to confront uh, problems with sex and also with intimate partner violence. So if that makes you uncomfortable, uh, I would refer you to a different interview that I've given. But if you need the support and if you are a family member or a friend of somebody who's been a victim of intimate partner violence, this is a wonderful, educational, emotionally supportive interview. And I'm very, very proud to be able to present it to as many women and men as need it. So here we go. Hi, this is Lori Kirstein with the Goodbye Good Girl Project. Welcome to Women Doing Business Differently. I have with me today a dear friend of mine. Her name is Elle Hoffman, and she is a maverick in every way you can think of. She is severely real. She is a disruptor by her own definition, um, which is dear to my heart because so am I. Um, she is absolutely a pioneer about sexual wellness and about intimate partner violence, which is a big, big hidden problem that she is unhiding. There are four platforms involved in that. Um, you're going to want to know all about it, so I'm definitely going to ask her. She is the founder of Louvre Health Co. That's the sort of umbrella place that the four platforms live under. That is a digital platform, and it drives collaboration and innovation within the sexual wellness ecosystem. I bet you've never heard it described that way. I know I haven't. Um, she's also the founder of Kuai. Kuai. <laughs> it's an app that provides daily self-care and support for, uh, for survivors of intimate partner violence. And that includes affirmations, meditations, and guided lessons that experts provide. So she is not messing around. And um, she also, she taught me, um, she taught me a lot a few years back when I took a big course about being an entrepreneur. So Welcome to my friend and my teacher, Elle. Hi. <laughs> I learned a lot from you as well, so <laughs> it's mutual. I remember the response in the class when I was like, my business is called the Goodbye Good Girl Company. It was like, okay, all right, where are we going with this? <laughs> so Elle, um, tell me something first. I, I just think that you are such a remarkable uh, woman, uh, completely apart from the business, which is also remarkable, but you came out of a very traditional background and you are doing something that is definitely not definable as traditional. So can you speak into how you broke out? Yeah, um, I don't know if I would exactly call it traditional, but it definitely has a traditional culture in it. Um, so I first went into my professional career as um, I rode professionally in the equestrian industry. And then I had what I called my quarter life crisis <laughs> and decided to leave and start a nonprofit at the time. And I had no clue what I was doing, neither about the nonprofit industry or the industry that I was going into. Um, 
but that was a um it was kind of one of those a long time coming but a last minute decision it was one night i just was like i can't do it anymore done <laughs> let's see what wow. happens <laughs> and um hard lessons along the way lots of nights crying but uh it led me well Oh yeah. I mean, the, the pillow is wet. I mean, anytime you're going to go <laughs> jump off the deep end, it's going to be like that. Wow. At 25. Okay. That's epic. That's very epic. So um, what took you into this area of, of sexual wellness? Yeah. So um, when I was 15 years old, I was sexually assaulted and I developed a disorder called vaginismus. But at the time I had no idea what was wrong with me. All I knew is I couldn't use a tampon. Um, everything on the internet was telling me that basically, yes, you can, you just have to figure it out. Uh, so I used horses to kind of hide myself from the world and dove into that industry. Um, a lot of things kind of fell into place. Uh, 21, I figured out what vaginismus even was. Um, I still had not told a single person. Uh, 23, I found out there was a treatment option. Um, but it was $8,000 and in New Hampshire, I was living in Cincinnati. Um, I did not have that kind of money that was not including travel expenses. Uh, so I basically was in a position where I was just planning to live my life single and, um, in the horse world. Cause in my head, like if I couldn't use tampon, I couldn't have sex. If I couldn't have sex, who would want me? Uh, but a man unexpectedly came in my life, uh, at 26 years old. And um, it was kind of with him by my side, and I had the money at that time, and uh, went on the healing journey. Uh, and so that was the big motivator uh, behind Louvre Health Co. Was, or when I launched the nonprofit, I guess backing up, I launched a nonprofit with a lot of resentment towards the healthcare community. Um, there is not nearly enough research in sexual wellness as a whole, but especially for women. Uh, and so I was angry. I was really angry and I was ready to go to war with all the other women that were suffering like I did. Um, but once I got into the industry, I learned two big things. I learned one that it didn't matter what you were suffering with. If you were struggling in sexual wellness, you were facing the same barriers and the same lack of resources, same shame, taboo, etc. Um, but then the other side of it was I started meeting professionals that specialize in sexual medicine. And they are some of the most passionate and driven professionals in the healthcare sector, period. Um, and my, kind of my mission turned around and that's where Louvre Health kind of blossomed out of that was the sexual wellness professionals. Um, I always say like they didn't step off the beaten path, they like dove off of it and they keep diving off every single day. Um, and just like the people that are suffering with issues in their sexual health, um, they're left without support as well. And a lot of them are entrepreneurs. They've left major hospitals or large practices because they weren't able to provide the care that they, that their clients and patients deserved and started off on their own. And, um, there's not enough of them for the demand that is needed. Uh, everybody has sex. Everybody's going to have a sexual health issue. Uh, people are falsely um, in belief that gynecologists and other professionals have um, sexual medicine education, and they don't. Uh, gynecologists are educated on cancer, babies, and STIs. 
Um, but they have very, very, like, I'm talking about just a few hours of sexual medicine education. Um, and so with that, I was like, well, how do I support them? I can't clone them, <laughs> um, but I can scale them. And that's really where our business model came out of. So Louvre Health Co, we're composed of four platforms. Louvre Health Co is the professional platform and the main engine to, um, to our company. Uh, that platform provides professionals with a supportive community of other vetted professionals, as well as the technology support that seamlessly delivers care to our other three platforms and allows them to scale their impact without increasing their hours in the workplace, which they also have a high rate of burnout. So that's basically Blue Health in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, I have about at least three questions, but let's start here. Um, when I was growing up, because I'm 30 years older than you, right? And when I was growing up, you know, there was still there were still conversations about were women loose? You know, was it were we bad for living with somebody before getting married? I mean, that was still a hot topic when I was coming up into my teens. And um, I know I've been really, really struck for so many, many decades about how badly women are represented, how we are supposed to identify ourselves as either effable or not effable, um, how, you know, there's just a whole self-worth thing, all of that going on. I don't think it's gotten better with, with greater freedoms, but I'm curious to know, you said that there are certain barriers that people face and then, so I'd like to, you to talk about what those are so that people listening can go, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah. One is that taboo, that stigma and that pressure is still there. Um, so for me, my inability to have sex was also a result or equal to me not having any self-worth. Um, right. We do not create a culture where you can talk about it we still nickname the vagina. <laughs> we still call it like a flower or whatever, the JJ. Um, I can't stand that one. I just gotta say, I can't take it. <laughs> how, how do we have women that, if they need to express a, an issue, whether it's pain or God forbid, rape, and we expect them to go in, but we can't even create an environment where it's okay to say vagina. It's oh. Um, so that's a big barrier to it. Um, the other part is the the medical industry has not given the support and education and research around sexual wellness as a whole um, compared to all the other issues. And people do not realize until it impacts you how significantly it damages your life. Um, it, I look back and there were other things in the mix, but um, I, I lost totally um, probably 18 years of my life because of that. And um, all because wow. of Tulsa, and then all because our medical community does not provide the research and the education to understand women's bodies. We put a man on the moon before we knew the anatomy of a clitoris. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's absolutely insane. We built a rocket ship and flew people up, to the moon, but we couldn't know the anatomy of a body part. So um, that's part of it. Is like there, there's just we don't have the doctors. You think 
that you go to a gynecologist that they're going to be able to help you. And on average, it takes a woman seven different gynecologists before she receives a diagnosis. That's majority of them do not get to the seventh. <laughs> it's yeah. Wait a second. Wait a second. Seven. Seven. If you have a sexual pain or disorder, um, dysfunction, if it's in that realm, if it's not cancer, STIs, babies, yeast infection, um, they don't have knowledge, and it takes literally seven gynecologists. The it, there's no support in this network, and it's crazy because everybody has sex, and everybody will face some type of type of struggle in their life, um, and it's just to me that's not acceptable. Uh, it's not. It has to change. Um, so that was a big one. The other one is insurance companies still not acknowledging um, that it's a necessary part of life. Um, I that and that treatment was not covered by insurance. That was paid completely 100% out of pocket, despite me having good insurance. Um, and I wasn't able to use tampon. I wasn't able to have a gynecology exam, and I wasn't able to have sex. Now, <laughs> to me, I'm like that's. It's a problem. Issue, you know, and if there was can like if I had cancer, that's a deadly thing that would not be able to be diagnosed early on. So like it goes on and on. Um, but so there's that. That's a major issue. Um, that's a battle I hope to eventually tackle, but it will be a massive uphill battle. Um, but that's a big part of it. And then just again going back where um, we just don't we don't have a culture where people can talk about sex. And it's one thing, it's, and this is why I love this topic too, though, is that it's like the one thing that almost every adult does, but nobody can talk about it. <laughs> or they do it in like a dark humor type of way or on a movie. Like it's not that raw and real and authentic conversation. Um, and so it's, I mean, couples struggle to even communicate about sex. So. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. It, there's the whole social, um, I don't know what to call it, the sort of, I don't want to say this thing to my partner because it might hurt his feelings or there's that whole sort of social idea of men's egos are fragile and that kind of thing or they'll think you're weird if you desire like they'll judge you because of your sexuality um most things like they when i got into this industry like it was people are all begging to talk about this they just don't know where they don't have that safe space and so as soon as i opened up like people just God, no, a lot of people's dirty laundry. <laughs> but it's just like everybody's bagging. Like they want the space, but nobody's provided it until now. <laughs> now, that is brilliant. So what do people do to um, take advantage of what you're offering to, you know, an individual needs something? What do they do? So the public platforms right now are only available for early access sign-on. Um, so you can get on our waiting list. Um, and then once we do launch those platforms, then you will be able to be one of the first on. Uh, right now, we just have our professional platform open. Uh, but besides that, so we have um, Hello Luvia. So H-E-L-L-O-L-U-V-I-A.com. That's our women's platform. Um, then we have Hello Luvi. Uh, so Hello and then L-U-V-I-E.com. And that is our LGBTQ platform. And then we have Luvo, uh, hello, Luvo, L-U-V-O.com. And that's our men's platform. So every professional, um, they are given access to those platforms and listed upon approval. 
Uh, so they all go through a strict vetting process that's been developed by our amazing medical board advisors. Um, and then once they're on, uh, individuals can, once we launch them, they can log in completely for free. On there, they will be able to access blogs, articles, videos made by the professionals where they know it's information that they can trust. They're not going to Dr. Google anymore. Um, there's a Q&A where they can ask questions and the professionals can answer it. Uh, so they're getting a little bit more focused answers to their issues that they're struggling with. Um, and then they can search all of the professionals um, depending on what you are looking for. As we build out our technology, you'll be able to do telehealth, schedule, pay, and you will also be able to um, access webinars and pre-recorded classes made by the professionals in order to um, make some of the pricing more accessible for everybody. Uh, because again, most of it is not covered by insurance. So right. it's a way that um, the individuals, the public can access support if they can't afford uh, the actual treatment itself. And it's a way for the professionals to um, scale their impact without increasing their hours and increasing risk of burnout. Well, as a woman, um who's been through a lot of this industry, who's been through a lot yourself personally, what kind of advice would you give to younger women than you who are struggling with these issues of self-esteem and feeling ashamed? And, you know, how do how does someone who is really, you know, clammed up and like, I'm not even gonna talk, where do they start to sort of- Launch a sexual wellness company. <laughs> then you- <laughs> you talk about all the fun stuff and get really used to it. Um, honestly, therapy, a lot of therapy. Uh, yeah, it's, I, for the longest time, um, felt like I could just fake it until I made it and bury my trauma and act like I had all my shit together and everything. And it, it took me getting to Rock Bottom's basement and realizing that I could no longer just skim over all of my issues that I needed to go through them and I need to go through it in a intentional manner. And so it was a lot of therapy, time, self-worth um, or exploration, I guess, and just finding out who I am and who I want to be. And, um, and then things begin to really fall in place that they should when you start to just be you and things are a lot happier and easier and less stressful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's no easy way to it. It's therapy. Um, it's doing the hard work. There's no shortcut. It is. It is um, you and I were talking about that the other night, how it just never stops. Like you, you get to keep blossoming. You get to keep growing. You get to keep becoming more and more of yourself. And oh my God, what a, what a trip. What a trip it is. Um, because you're going against not only your own internal voices that you've, you know, brought in from so many places, but you will have people outside of yourself going, could you please sit down and shut up? And you say, no, I can't, not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, amazing. I'm a female founder and sex tech company. Like, <laughs> you either love me or you hate me or you don't know what to do with me. And you just look at me like I'm some crazy alien that came down from earth but um but yeah it's uh if everybody if you please everybody then you aren't doing your authentic truth 
you're not doing what you're capable of doing because you're never going to be able to play with everybody. Right. And oh my God, that means you're going to have to break every rule, which, you know, that's my thing. It's like question the rules so you can change the damn game because we can't play the same game and change at the same time. It doesn't work. And your business partner, we, you and I were talking about funding, how that's so difficult for women. I don't think people know how little, uh, how little funding women get. Can you yes, reveal that for us? Um, yeah. 2020, we were finally up to 3.3% of all investment dollars. Um, despite the fact that female founded companies I can't talk, produce a higher return to the investors and produce more successful and stronger companies. Beautiful. So that, we still get less money by a long, by a ton. Um, 2020 hit hard. Uh, so investment dollars in 2020 increased by $13 billion. Women's investment portion of the pie, we went down at tw- uh, 2%. We went down. We went down despite investment dollars going up. Going up by billions. Yeah. yeah. And the, the number that I heard was that, that women owned companies, we, that's like 40%. Mm-hmm. That's almost half. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was talking with a company the other day who said, we're very aware about the disparity. So what we're doing is we're bringing women leaders forward. And we now have 50% women, 50% men in our leadership roles. And I said, that's fabulous. It's wonderful. My God, you know, you're like um, among the 0.001%, but you know, terrific. But then they said, what we're really working on is the words that we use. And I thought, that's not quite it. You know, that's just not, that's not it. It's, it's about, are you encouraging inclusivity? Are you encouraging communication are you encouraging women to take the lead instead of the men and i mean like what are you doing to learn about what it is to be a woman in this world because even women don't know the things that i've learned even women don't know we just are at the mercy of our training so i'm so glad you're doing what you're doing it's really comes from a cultural thing like when you look even like the vcs um pre-COVID, it was a lot of them networking with founders, going golfing or hanging out in a hot tub. I'm not coming into a hot tub by myself with a match bin and I don't play golf. (laughs) Like I, so that's not an opportunity for me. Um, And so it's changing even things like that where we have to create the same opportunities um, who said it the other day? I was on a panel about uh, the differences between founders. Because I have a male co-founder, and there's another um, co-founder duo with a male-female. And one of the other pa- panelists uh, said, um, "We have equal intelligence, but not equal opportunity." Truth. Yeah. Truth. So that's and there's so much data that when women lead when you have diversity and i believe like having a balance of both because we both have strengths and we both have weaknesses right. but produce healthier stronger returns healthy and stronger cultures like all the way around and so it's even if on the selfish side we produce bigger numbers if you want to make money invest in women why do you think we're producing greater numbers i mean i have my own theory but what do you think? I, um, one, we lead with empathy. 
Two, we are um, not as, we're a little bit more uh, budget with our uh, funding rounds. We don't spend like the men spend. Really? Okay. So we are much more intelligent, I guess you could. I won't, <gasps> I won't say that word. That was bad. Much more. Um, well, than, uh, what's the. Uh, we're just different in how we spend. So we make the dollars last we're longer. Thrifty. We're thriftier. We're thriftier as a group. Exactly. There okay. you go. Um, and I think we bring a different perspective. That's the biggest thing with diversity. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it, yep. it produces better results because you have different perspectives. And that is one of our goals at Louvre Health Co. is that we want to be the most diverse startup in the country. That is a goal from the very beginning and it's something Dylan and I have spoken strongly about, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because our sexual health has such it's rooted in diversity. It's rooted in different experiences. And so if we don't have those experiences brought to the table and who are developing that product and pushing it out to the world, then we aren't seeing all of our customers. Um, are, what, do you, what do you think about all of the stuff that happens overseas with, um, with with I can't I can't even think of the word and it's just so horrific when women have their sexuality taken away yeah. when they have their clitoris taken out you know with a piece of glass and being held I mean this is that's something really horrific and I'm I'm sorry to bring that up on a and it's I agree 100 with you um, but what what do we do like what it, I don't think we as Americans can really it honestly individually it, do something but. I don't know what you do. It's, um, you try to educate you and a lot of it will come from starting to educate the women there. Um, and I think that's where it comes. you can't force it. It's something that is deeply in their beliefs. Uh, it's sad. <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, it's abuse point blank. Horrific. Yeah, I, I'm really regretting that I brought it up. I'm sure it brought the entire interview to a screeching halt for people watching. <laughs> no, but and you have those things all like all over, and it's um, it's hard. Like it, it really is. And we, as even a company, and it was even an issue when it was still a nonprofit. That if we ever decide to go into those countries, we have to be extremely careful. And this is probably something that we probably won't go into for a while. Is that Right. Trying to help, but we could get women killed. Yes. Yes. And I mean, and that's where I land with all of the equality information about women is when are we going to understand that women are not sort of just here to be disposable and here to be useful? When are we going to change that mindset? And I think it's piece by piece. I think it's business by business, talk by talk. Um, how do you keep your sanity while you go through these sort of misunderstandings that people have? Sanity might be a vague definition. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, I like, I am polite, but I'm bold about it. Um, it's, I, we are at a point that um, we need men to step up to change this. 
We do. We've been fighting this fight alone for the entire ever. Um, yeah. And so now it's at the point of talking directly to men and saying, not only not saying, don't kill us, don't rape us, don't abuse us, but just putting your social media graphic on Women's International Day and your token woman up and whatever level of your corporation, it's not enough. It's not enough. Like we have to do some deep cultural changing um, and we've got to get men to step up and when they see something, say something and don't just act like it's locker boy or locker room talk because it's not. Um, it's one out of three women. Like it's, it's just one in three women, the violence. And then a new statistic that just recently came out is 97% of women will experience harassment in their life. Yes. Oh yeah. It, I just was, I was writing all about this this morning for this, this book that I'm writing and it, I, it's, it just blows my mind. And it, it, it seems to me that if we are really going to change things, that we have to have a certain kind of courage and it's the courage where you go, this is my belief and I'm actually going to live it. I'm going to hold my own feet to the fire. If I believe that women are, if I'm a guy and I believe that women are really important human beings who do not deserve to be talked about in a certain way, and I hear somebody talk about a woman in a certain way, I have to be courageous enough to live my beliefs and go, excuse me, that doesn't fly with me. That makes me uncomfortable. That's not okay. That's not how you talk about women. Yep, 100%. That's, that is interestingly... That I think is a bigger challenge in terms of courage than going to war for a guy. I think that's a bigger challenge. It's even for women. We've been raised oh, yeah. all of us to protect, especially protect the white straight male. Yes. It's, I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again. Um, just, I mean, look who we just had president. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's always worried that like the statistic of how many false accusations, it is so minute, <laughs> like, and it's already so rare that a person even spends a night in jail because of assault or abuse or any of that. But then oh. to say like, I'm worried about being falsely accused, like it, it just, it doesn't happen. People get falsely accused of murder and spend mm -hmm. years of their life, but nobody's saying, well, I'm going to be afraid of being a falsely accused of murder. Nobody says that. But I'll be <laughs> falsely accused of rape or assault. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Um, and it's just, that is what really irks me is when they come back and it's the not all men or um, always jumping the defense and saying, uh, worried about guys losing their scholarships or their careers and waiting for... Um, they always say like innocent until proven guilty, which is true. It's true. But the flip side of that is in the process of why that man is innocent, the woman's guilty. Exactly. And, you know, it was only in, I believe, 1988 that women could stop, uh, could get their own business instead of asking their husband or their father to sign for them to get a loan. It was in late seventies where we could have our own bank account and, um, and credit cards like it's incredible yeah and when people ask like about why divorce rates are up i'm like that's why before women couldn't do shit like we could 
we didn't have a bank account. Like, what, how did you want them to survive? You had to have a man. You had no choice. You had no choice. You had no choice. Like, yeah, that's not the only thing that I see. Like, I, I think we also are very, as a culture, I think we're very emotionally immature. So we will get, we will rush to marriage and then we will rush out of marriage. But, but what you're talking about, the, it's such a big issue because we women, like I said, we don't see it. We, we see something going on and we will blame ourselves. Okay. Right. And that really feeds into the whole abuse culture and the whole women are less than culture. And even as I'm speaking, what I just spoke, I heard in my own head, people will think you're just, you're complaining. People will just think you're complaining. Well, I'm not. That's I'm the telling the truth. Is you've already been through significant trauma and to be publicly said that it didn't happen and you're the crazy one and you're a liar and all that, like that is a victim's worst fear. And so when we yeah. talk about like why they don't come forward, that's why they don't come forward. It happens all the time, it happens all the time. Well, as women, we, what, what shall we tell people that they can do to begin to break the cycle of beha internal behaviors, internal alignments, and external abuse? Do you have any advice for women who are in these situations? That are the ones in being, or that are the victims? Um, women who are victims, yes, let's start there, absolutely. Um. Every situation is different. Like that's a really hard one to say. Um, victims of intimate partner violence, when they leave, 73% of um, intimate partner violence homicides are when the women leave the relationship. Uh, so you have to be careful, um, have a safety plan. You do need to get out, <laughs> but plan it. Um, if so how do they plan? Um, it, there are different sorts. I mean, how does somebody literally, where do they go on Google? Like how do they figure out how to get out? Well, be Depending on the situation, again, um, a lot of if it's at that level, more than likely the abuser is tracking all the history on their computer. So they cannot search anything. Uh, same with their phone. They are going to have to talk to friends and family to help them. Um, Domestic Violence Hotline has a, um, a page that are like a, a planner that can help you go through the planning process. But the biggest thing is somewhere safe that they don't know at where they're at um all their papers like birth certificates uh social security make sure you have all your documents that you need um basically that those important things the things that are absolutely necessary and then if you can get anything else but it's um making everybody aware uh making like, your family and your friends uh they can't say that you are anywhere don't tag anybody in social media right. Um, right. so and then call the police um, if you have the ability to do so. Um, I know that's hard. <laughs> I know that's really hard. Uh, but that is the uh, best alternative of users rarely change. Um, in a maybe a situation that's not as abusive, it's <clears throat> just getting to the point where you know that trust your gut your reality isn't you aren't the crazy one um and then start to rebuild yourself
Yeah, I'm thinking that I just, I want to give um, some positive things. Like what I kept thinking was if somebody can get their, their get themselves to a library where they can use a computer or. Library. Um, <coughs> or just go to a friend's house with their computer. Um, any place that they don't have access to your technology. Um, then it's. The biggest part also is friends and family need to realize the situation and they cannot force the victim to leave. That is a, um, a huge thing that a lot of people feel like they're doing the right thing and it is absolutely the worst thing that you can do because you will push that person further into their power, into the abuser's power, um, because at the end of the day, for that victim, um, they feel shamed and i want to start coughing again <coughs> i am so sorry <laughs> it's totally fine but yeah i mean that's really well any i know for me personally if somebody wants to push me to do something i'm going to want to do the opposite but you're saying this is a blanket statement about a specific situation and so why is that going to make them want to go back to their abuser even more i don't think you can do a blanket statement but for vast majority of victims it will. And it happened to me is why I personally know this. And then through research, I realized that it's a common occurrence and it's the worst thing. And you will, if you read any educational material like on domestic violence hotline and everything like that, it says to never force, support them and be there when they're ready, um, but do not force them out of it. It's one, it's shame. There's already, that individual's already feeling shame. Um, just through that relationship alone. And then for having other people feel like they're being judged on that relationship. Um, that's a hard one to swallow. And then the other part is, it feels like your family and friends are taking that last little bit of control that you do have away from you. So, so what should what should say a mom and, and dad or a best friend or something, where should they go to get information to, to be of the most help? Domestic hotline uh, or domestic violence hotline is a great one. And really at the end of the day, it's um, being aware of the signs because it's not always easy to pick up. Mm -hmm. um, the subtle ones that you can see is the individual distancing themselves from their friends and family, acting different. Um, if they are with them, but their significant other is not, their abuser is not, they're constantly checking their phone. Um, oh. Those tiny things will add up uh, more anxiousness as well. Um, but then you can see the big ones that people think and it's the um, bruises and things like that. But those aren't like, that's not the, the subtle ones are the ones that are the really important ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's one is look at them. And then when you do approach the um, victim of, <clears throat> I apologize. Um, when you approach the victim, always use asking terms. Never tell them what they're yes. experiencing. Yeah. Uh, because really, at the end of the day, nobody knows her reality better than her. Um, but just say, I noticed that you are pulling away. You're not as close with us anymore, or you act, you're acting different. Like, ask them and say, are you okay? Uh, bring it up in that manner. Never say, like, you are. Um, and then regardless of what the victim does, whether she leaves right then and there, 
whether she stays and then leaves later on, whether she leaves and goes back, always support. Yeah. Always, um, that is a massive thing. Uh, always let them know that you are there no matter what. And they have to get to that point. They, you can't force someone and they are so, um, at that point, emotionally broken down that, um, and their abuser knows them better than they know themselves most of the time too. Uh, and they're professional manipulators. That's, yeah, they are professional manipulators. Yeah. Um, wow. So I'm wondering what does a parent of, of an abuser do, or maybe they don't know that their child is, has become an abusive person. I mean, it's just, it's so systemic really, right? I mean, it comes from generation to generation. So, um, I love that you said one of the main things is look at them, look at them, listen to them, it really extend your love in a very open-handed way. It's great advice in any situation, but it's particularly important when your loved one has been so torn down. Mm -hmm. And yeah. unless you've been through severe shame, which I have, you have, um, unless you've been through it, you really don't get how debilitating um, how every moment it is and how just the act of continuing to breathe mm -hmm. is like an act of warrior badassery. You're living in fight or flight mode constantly. Constantly. Emotionally just broken down. Like it's, um, and leaving is just the first step. That healing journey afterwards is brutal. Um, it's worth it. <laughs> it gets better, but it's hard. And yeah. I don't really talk about that enough either is that we just talk about these incidences but then we think once the victim's out and they're fine or once the rape is cool. done it's fine and it's that trauma sticks with you for a long time and so our communities family friends like if you know someone like it it doesn't just stop and they don't just go back to normal life like they they need people need people is what i always say we weren't wired to heal alone um, but oftentimes victims do because it's typically if they get victim blame. Why didn't you just leave? Why did you let it happen? And it's, um, it doesn't, I always say it too, is abuse does not start out with a fist. It is calculated, it is manipulative, and it is, um, it's. You... So it starts with charm? It doesn't oh. start with a fist? They call it love bombing too. They start out perfect, perfect. Wow. Exactly the person that you are, like your magazine catalog, <laughs> and that's who they become. And then it slowly is the emotional manipulation and breakdown, and then the financial, and then the physical. And by the time you get to the physical, you are so mentally, it's, you compartmentalize all of it. So you know it happened, but, you don't put it all together in as a relationship thing. It's just an incident and you block it out. Um, you put it in a little box. Uh, so you do, you do realize that it happened, but you don't just, you separate it all. Um, so it's just like, it doesn't happen like that. I was always the person who was like, well, I would, first time someone would raise their hand on me, I'd be out of there. Um, but it's a, uh, no, there's so much situational stuff with it. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't have any money, 
it may you may be like, yeah, you should just leave. But really, if I'm going to be sleeping in the street, I don't think I'm going to feel a lot safer. Right. So what should I be doing here? Yeah. You have Stockholm syndrome. You care about the person. Right. You, them. you don't want to hurt them. Like every, I try to leave so many times and then I would be chasing, driving all through downtown in the middle of the night because he was threatening suicide. So it's, um, they, you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to make, be the reason that they're sad, even though they are literally killing you, breaking you to nothing. Wow. You still love this, but it's the Stockholm syndrome, um, except it's even worse because it's in a relationship, not a robber at a bank. Right. So uh, it's right. If it can happen to a with a robber at a bank and they can form that type of relationship, just imagine that in a relationship. It's so important that we have these conversations. Do you think you will have um, in some form in the future some kind of a of a group, not necessarily a therapy group, but just a place to converse or is that going to stay online only um, in terms of yeah, so we're the app, um, and then virtual events. Um, who knows what the future will be? Right. I mean, right now it's COVID, so there's nothing in person. Right. Um, but it's right now. It's the app, and I think that is what is most um, needed. Just because those groups aren't there in the middle of the night when you're in the right. office, um, and so it's there needs to be that filler where when you are about to break there's something there for you um meditation is a massive healer uh, mindfulness um we also have a part of the app with um guided self journaling uh, and that really helps the victims organize their thoughts and emotions um so there are scientifically backed tools that we're putting into this um and so, and depending on support groups, depending on how those are led, those can be taught. Uh, so this is, I think, for right now, this is how we can make a scalable, massive impact. Um, and hopefully, we'll be able to show the numbers for it. But uh, but who knows? I kind of am the person that's, I'm like, one day at a time, we'll see what tomorrow brings. <laughs> Elle, you are amazing. You are amazing, amazing. And I'm just, I love you, girl. You're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Thank you so much for just the openness of the conversation. I really, my hope and my intention is that this serves those people who, who really are sitting at home thinking oh, there's something wrong with me, who can then say there's nothing wrong with me. And um, I'll, I'll make sure that we get from you whatever information you want me to make available to people so I can put it in there. And um, just thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I had fun. I appreciate it. <laughs>